0: Welcome to another weekly episode of the 3-Minute Therapy podcast with me, Dr. Michael R. Edelstein, clinical psychologist with a uh, remote practice these days internationally. And I'm at www3 3 is spelled out. And that's the name of my book, 3-Minute Therapy. And I'm here with another expert REBT therapist, Kevin Benbow in
1: Yuma, Arizona. Kevin, would you like to say a few words about yourself? Yeah, sure would. My uh, site, you can reach me at www.cogyuma.com uh, I'm in private practice and uh, I'm licensed in New Mexico and Arizona. Uh, most of my clients come from Arizona. And if you live in one of those States, I probably take your insurance. Okay, very good. So um, as you return viewers
0: know, all our our YouTubes and podcasts center around REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. What is Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy? I thought you'd never ask. Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy was devised by Albert Ellis in the 50s, a genius. He turned around the psychotherapy movement from the old style therapy to uh, the more present oriented, active directive, cognitive oriented therapy. And uh, Albert Ellis uh, has written over 80 books. I recommend you read uh, at least 79 of those. And that's E-L-L-I-S, A True Genius at Work. And uh, what we say, the, the basis, pr- basic principle here, the rule, is our emotions don't come from situations, they come from our thinking, our views, attitudes, beliefs, ideas in our head that we invent and then create emotions about that. And uh, when we have disturbed emotions, it's because of a particular kind of thinking that's thinking in terms of demands. Musts, shoulds, supposed tos, have tos, demands we put on ourselves, I must do well and get approval, or I'm no good, demands we put on others, others must treat me well, or they're no good, or the third, impersonal demand, a demand on the conditions of one's life, My life must be fair, easy, and hassle free. And if it's not, my life is no good. And when you put a demand on yourself, you wind up with anxiety, depression, guilt, jealousy, hurt. When you put a demand on others, you must do X, Y, or Z. You wind up with hostility, resentment, and anger. And when you put a demand on the conditions of your life, your situation, or the world, you end up with depression also, or addictions and procrastination. Addictions and procrastination to escape from what you've decided is a horrible world that you think you can't stand. So that's what we deal with in each of
1: our episodes. Kevin, did you want to add to that? No, not uh, not not really a whole lot. That's just basically the idea. We help people identify their demands. Interestingly, a lot of people don't think they have demands and seem a little bit surprised to find out that they do, but it's our irrational demands that uh, by and large create our emotional disturbance.
0: Yeah, that's a very good point about people not thinking they have demands. Uh, it's not that unusual that someone comes into a session as as Kevin and I have found out early in our practice. They don't think they have demands, but when we point them out, usually they get it pretty quickly. It tends to be one trial learning, and then we move ahead to help them identify the specific demands that's causing their problems and uproot them.
1: Mm -hmm. I have had a few people where it's taken a few sessions where I've had to uh, trap them, so to speak. They'll say, well, I don't say should, I don't say must, and then I'll catch it. (laughs) coming out of their mouth and quite often they're ah, surprised and then they're able to see the logic behind it. Right. Yes. And uh,
0: the shoulds and musts and have tos and goddess generally come from taking our strong preferences and then convincing ourselves because we strongly prefer others to treat us well or that we do well and get approval because we strongly prefer it. Therefore, we absolutely must succeed at these endeavors. So why do we do this? Why do we escalate our preferences into must? And the answer is not, as your therapist is probably telling you, it comes from your childhood or your critical parents or your distant father, but rather it comes from your humanity. It's human to take our strong preferences and escalate them into demands. All people do it. All people have done it. Through all through history, through all cultures, now they have different content. In uh, Yemen, for example, they probably have different musts and shoulds about what's going on there, uh, most likely. But it starts with a must or a should if they're disturbing themselves about it. And our message is: you don't have to. We show you how not to, and then. Uh, to put the icing on the cake, teach you to be your own therapist so you can learn to do that on your own. Uh, And uh, I've been doing self-therapy for many, many years, and that's why I'm so sane. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, the Addictive Voice Recognition Training, and this was a mainstay of Jack Trimpey's uh, rational recovery. And there is a website, re, uh, rational.org. And I think it's still active, but I haven't heard anything from Jack Trimpey for many years. Have you, Kevin?
1: No, I sure haven't read his book uh, several years ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And his book is called The Small Book. Is that right? Uh, well, the book I have is a paperback just called Rational Recovery. Oh, okay. And- that's, yeah. That's, I think that's his most recent
0: one. And I think the reason his first book was called The Small Book um, as a jab at the 12 steps, because their Bible was called The Big Book. And uh, so Jack Trimpey was a trenchant critic of 12 steps and Alcoholics Anonymous. So uh, rational recovery starts with rational, as rationally emotive behavior therapy does but our question today is is rational recovery really rational and Kevin do you have an answer to that question
1: i don't know like i like we were saying earlier it's been uh, several years since i've read the book and i don't i really haven't thought about it much in the context of our ebt i'm familiar with rational recovery's uh, main concepts but i hadn't really uh, given it much thought so i don't know Okay. Okay.
0: I have a few answers. And that is Jack Trimpey was an opponent uh, of REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. And the reason he gave is that when you set up your irrational belief, for example, because I prefer to have a drink and satisfy my urge, therefore I must, and you question it and uh, challenge it and contradict it, then you're engaging in what what Jack Trumpy calls the beast the beast is trying to get you to drink and the beast would love to have arguments with you about whether or not to drink cuz the beast is winning so what the what Jack recommends to fight the beast is just not to engage with it not talk to it and when the beast rears its addictive voice just have one drink and then i'll stop rather than saying well this hasn't worked before, or if I can stop after one drink, I can stop before one drink, rather than engaging in these Socratic dialogues with the beast, Jack is saying, shut it down. Just say, no drinking. I will not drink today and not get involved with these discussions that REBT recommends. So my first uh, critique of that Is that it would be nice if that works for you. That's fine. There are individual differences, and and this doesn't seem to admit or address individual differences. That has worked for some people, but not all. Just as REBT has worked for many people and not all, and the REBT approach of just shutting the addictive voice down, uh, squelching the beast doesn't work. Then I suggest you. Ask the voice or the beast, what's the evidence? And engage in a discussion. And you could use a strategy that I've uh, created called debating until you win. So you can have a debate with the addictive voice until you beat it. And why will you win? The reason you win is because you have reality on, the, on your side. There's no reason data Logic that says you have to satisfy your urge. The urge won't kill you. And if in the unlikely situation it does, if it kills you, then you're dead, you're out of your pain, you're out of your frustration, and uh, have your heirs let Kevin and me know about it, and we'll make you a splendid funeral. So uh, we recommend in most cases to go over the, uh, beastly ideas or the rationalizations, the excuses and come up with many, 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 many reasons why the irrational idea, the must or should, or
1: the, uh, rationalizations are false. So <clears throat> pardon me. It's uh, it sounds like a form of, uh, thought suppression. If the addictive voice basically says something, then I'm going to shut it down. And, uh, some people, like you say, they, they may be able to do that. Uh, one experiment I do with my clients on a uh, regular basis is when they tell me they don't want to think about something, uh, I ask the simple question, uh, well, I want you to do me a favor. Uh, for the next few, few seconds, don't think about a lake. And as soon as I say that, you can't help but think about a lake. And you can Put your, uh, You can put your favorite uh, noun in there because I have to think about a lake in order to make sure I'm not thinking about a lake. So if I tell myself not to think about the addiction, I'm probably going to be thinking about my addiction. makes more sense to me to uh, acknowledge that, yeah, I have a desire to drink. Uh, I wish I could have a drink, but that doesn't mean I absolutely have to have a drink.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, again, thought suppression probably works for some people, but uh, then the thought could pop back up. Or as Kevin, as you're saying, or that might put the idea in your head to drink. So there are problems with that. But uh, I prefer, I teach my clients and my addiction groups uh, to uh, question, challenge, contradict, the rationalizations, I'll just have one drink and then I'll stop, or the irrational beliefs, I must satisfy my urge or I must feel good right now and uh, go over many reasons why that's false. And uh, speaking of my addiction groups, I lead an addiction group, it's a self-help group for people recovering from addictions. There's no charge, anyone can attend and they meet most nights of the week in various places, but they're all on Zoom, so you can go to all of them if you like. And that's called Smart Recovery Self-Management and Recovery Training. And if you want to find out when they meet or more about it, go to the website, which is smartrecovery.org, and that'll list all the meetings. And then when uh, the government and its ultimate wisdom allows us to go out and meet in in groups again, uh, we will be meeting in person as we did once in our own localities. But right now, you can go to any meeting, no matter where it is. And So that's smart
1: recovery. I like the, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, I really like the idea of smart as opposed to Alcoholics Anonymous. AA seems to work for some people, but I like SMART and you can help me out with this, Michael. It's uh, it's a 10, it's like 10, 10 modules is there four modules or 10 sessions basically. And they repeat, they teach skills. They teach people how to uh, overcome their addictive uh, behavior and they don't demand that they uh, stay in the program forever. Something uh, I really like.
0: Yeah. So uh, you're referring to the SMART recovery meetings Mm -hmm. and That's right, we don't uh, insist people come back to uh, uh, meetings again and again and again. What we do insist on is that you practice the strategies, the techniques and tools and the concepts that we teach you at the meetings on your own, because that's really what makes a difference, not how many meetings you come to. Mm -hmm. Um, Since I've been talking about questioning, challenging, and contradicting your uh, addictive thinking, let me give you an example of how that works. So let's suppose you are feeling stressed, your goal is to abstain, not to drink at all, and you have the urge to drink to calm yourself down, to drown your stress. So what you could do is you could identify the irrational belief that's tempting you to drink, such as I must drink and and drown my stress. And then you ask yourself, what is the evidence? I absolutely must drink and escape my stressful feelings. What is the evidence? I must, not I I prefer to, but I must. And then you think it through, you look for evidence for the must, and since all musts and shoulds are fictions, you won't find any evidence, and then you could Respond in that way. There is no evidence that I have to satisfy my urge, even though I would like to. I've survived discomfort in the past and the urges of drinking in the past without alcohol, and I'll survive them in the future. I don't like feeling frustrated, but I definitely can stand what I don't like. If I delay, Satisfying my urge for ten minutes, it may pass since urges wax and wane. They don't stick in your brain forever. All I of like is
1: wax and wane. Actually, yes, Kevin. I like that. Uh, that's one thing uh, that I've I've been doing for years. Is it's important to await uh, the craving out. Uh, if we. Uh, the problem, my, my own personal opinion, the problem when it comes to quitting a substance, and I've quit smoking twice, so I'm a, some something of an expert on this. But uh, the problem is when we dwell and ruminate on the craving, we, t- we awfulize about it. Oh, it's awful. It's terrible. I've got to have a drink. I've got to have a cigarette. That lower brain likes to agree with that and say, yeah, yeah, you're right. You got to have one. And then that makes it more likely we're going to give into it. But if we can just tell ourselves, hey, I'm a smoker. I'm an, alcohol- well, an alcoholic, if you want to use that word. I have a, I have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with, uh, with, uh, with smoking. If, uh, it's, it's normal for people who have these kinds of problems to have cravings. And if I wait, it will pass. And then distraction, do something else. And if you have to do this several times a day in order not to drink or smoke, you have to do it several times a day. But the thing is not to dwell on it, not to awfulize on the craving. Nobody does this perfectly. Trust me as a former smoker, no one does it perfectly. But the more we practice, the better we get at it.
0: Exactly, exactly. Now, you had mentioned, Kevin, you quit twice, and you're somewhat of an Mm -hmm. expert on it. Mm -hmm. I think it was Mark Twain who said, I've quit smoking many times, so I know I can
1: do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I actually have quit, well, definitively, I guess, but the first time clearly wasn't definitively. And we won't know if the second time was definitive until I've actually left this earth. But uh, so far, so good. Uh, there was 18 years, for those who are interested, 18 years between smoking episodes for me, by the way. So,
0: <laughs> Wow, great, great. Good work. Uh, uh, you had mentioned distraction, distracting yourself. I had a client who had an alcohol problem, and he usually started drinking in the afternoon, around 2 or 3. And the distraction he came up with was particularly uh, good because the distraction was eating ice cream, and what he discovered was it was probably the sugar in the alcohol that was, uh, he was addicted to. So the ice cream was a fine substitute. Now the healthiness of eating ice cream is something else, but uh, that's just an example of how a distraction could help uh, dramatically. Right, very good. Okay, I, uh, I think we covered a lot here. Uh, By the way, I mentioned Albert Ellis and his 80 books earlier. He wrote at least one or two books on getting over addictions. Um, So so you can go to Amazon, put in Albert Ellis, put in alcohol and drinking, and uh, I think you'll find one or two of his books. Also in my book, Three Minute Therapy, which you can find on 3minutetherapy.com, I have a few chapters on overcoming addictions, one on alcohol, one on smoking and uh, overeating. So uh, you can get my book on Amazon, Three Minute Therapy. By the way, I say my book, but I have a brilliant co-author who wrote it with me, David Ramsey Steele. And he made, I wrote the first draft on the therapy and then he went over it and made the book sparkle. So um, I highly recommend that book. Not only is it good reading, but it will help you dramatically or help friends or loved ones dramatically if you pass it on to them.
1: And I'd like to also note that a lot of Albert Ellis's books are available in audio format. And so uh, keep keep that in mind, too. If you are, uh, for some reason, averse to uh, reading, you can listen to it as you commute. Oh, good point. I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. So that's useful information.
0: Okay, thank you for joining us. I hope you found this this, uh, subject and discussion useful. Comment below if you have any thoughts about what we discussed or uh, if you have questions. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, we'd be happy to have you. Kevin and I have had guests over the years. And give us a like suggest subjects if you'd like us to discuss uh, anything in particular, and we have some podcasts coming up on subjects suggested by our viewers. Volunteer, if you have a problem you'd like to discuss with us and get some free expert REBT therapy, uh, you can be a guest with us. And uh, I think we have one coming up also and we would be happy to have you on here, no extra charge. Uh, Donate to Patreon, please, to help support us, and subscribe to the 3-Minute Therapy Podcast to stay
1: on the rational side of life.